Hello and welcome to episode 39 of The Novel Brain with Dr. E. Today I'm going to be talking about the invisibility of anti-Asian racism. And we're going to get into it in just a few seconds. So here we are in the second month of 2023, and it's looking like a lot of things have been occurring, specifically this particular couple weeks. And this whole podcast idea sort of stemmed from a lot of our sort of aftermath of what's been going on with this Chinese spy balloon. And it just got me thinking about how much sort of anti-Chinese specific um, propaganda that's been put out into the news. And I get it, you know, we're a free country and we don't want, um, you know, any kind of infiltration from other countries into our sort of, especially military bases. It's, it's definitely something that is to our best nature to protect the country. Um, I guess the problem is, is that we're not telling both sides to this story. And as a psychologist working with kids in schools and thinking about my own practice and, the, and what I do to make matters fair, looking at news from all different sides. So looking at the sides that I'm thinking about, um, I've, I mentioned in my last podcast um, about a, a website called allsides.com. I want you to look into that because what we're not looking at is how often we've been actually spying on the U, uh, the United States has been spying on China and Russia since 1940. So the other thing that really matters when we're thinking about this sort of invisible anti-Asian racism is that there's this underlying message that Asians can take care of it themselves. So no matter how bad they're being portrayed on the news, Given the past three years of a pandemic that was called the Chinese pandemic by our previous president, and then moving into a lot of the Asian hate, um, the AAPI groups were pretty prominent in the past two years, and then just the rise, the eminent rise of, of Asian hate crime. I think that combined with where we are with this new Chinese spy balloon and where we are with the Chinese economy and our, our sort of dependence on them uh, for a lot of things dating all the way into electronics as well as um, manufactured goods and also a lot of electric vehicle um, sort of components that are, are being made in China. So... We need them, but we want to compete with them, yet we don't want any kind of diplomatic action with that country because of our sort of brash notion that somebody just has to be stronger here. We can't let anybody else even come close to overcoming what the United States has been, which is the most powerful country on the planet. And looking at China and how their economy how their economy has just boosted over the past 10 to 15 years as well as their surge of complete dominance in a lot of manufacturing jobs throughout the world globally they are on top
And the United States really doesn't want to see that. For many reasons, other than just not being the top military power, it is a us versus them. And I don't think it's ever going to get to a point where it's, hey, maybe we could work together on a few things. So the Secretary of State was to visit the um, to Hong Kong, I believe. He was going to China. Uh, if I'm wrong about Hong Kong, I don't know which city. Um, but he was going to uh, China to talk to their president, and that was canceled. So what I'm getting at with this podcast is essentially this the invisibility of any sort of notion that Asian Americans also have rights. So for example, throughout the pandemic with Asian hate crimes, that was included ancillary to Black Lives Matters movements, but also in a way where, look, even though the Asians are being hurt in this country and killed, perhaps we will just kind of put that on a side burner. It was always a side note versus this is a real issue because these are people who were being beat to death that weren't necessarily even Chinese. But this sort of narrative has continued since the first Asian Americans came to the United States over a century ago. And in previous to any of that, it's even very much proven in history that Asian Americans were here with the Siberian Straits. I'm not going to go into too much detail as to who actually was here first, because that doesn't matter. So what we do about this is a collective society. But even using the word collective doesn't seem to resonate with most people in America. This is a very independent me first type of society. I know this sounds completely anti-United States, but it's not. It's really, how does this make United States better? You know, I was born in Minneapolis in 71, and I recall in 1965, um, just watching in that decade of of the 70s, watching all the Asian American population slowly grow. grow. Um, And at that time, it was, I believe, right around 1 million Asian Americans in the United States, which currently, I think it's approaching close to 14, 15 million. And that is because in 1965, there was legislation put forward, any executive order, to the point where we could use a lot of Asian Americans coming over to the States um, who were both nor- nurses and doctors, um, that <laughs> tended to have a very big impact on the United States because of our shortage. So it's based on what we need. So if we don't need Asian Americans in the United States or we don't have a lack of a profession, then we don't seem to invite that population. And if it is invited into this the States, then... At that point, there's a lot of other rules and dogma that that the Asian Americans have to follow. So moving into the 80s, things were very much a Reaganomics type of environment. A lot of Asian Americans tended to be Republican. And again, this is not a political stab at an entire party, but there was a lot of sort of misunderstandings as to where the Asian Americans were. So the invisibility that I'm talking about with this 
racism issue is that not only are Asian Americans misrepresented in a lot of different ways, the invisibility factor just becomes even bigger when it's not discussed and when it's not even on the table. And when you look at the top 100 CEOs um, in the United States for, I guess, just go all the way back to history, you'll see that there might be one or two every year on a list of 100. And then you'll do the math and you'll think, wait a second, now, you know, here in Washington, D.C. area, looking at about 15% of the population of the DMV is Asian American. And the representation within CEO classes and the C class is next to somewhere around 1.1%. So when it comes to economics, you can kind of say, okay, they are the model minority because they are the ones that are the most successful, making a more of a salary than the average Caucasian male. And that's just not true because that's not disaggregated data. And this is something I've been touting all the way back to when I was a professor. And this is something that makes more sense to me every day that is ignored is how data is collected. So that's really essentially why there is, I believe, still a racism issue today, not only with blacks and Latinos, um, but specifically this podcast talking about Asian Americans, Asian families that don't speak up for themselves in fear of shame. So the shame of, I don't want to stick out, I don't want to rock the boat. Hey, look, you know, some of us are doing well, but the majority of us are actually kind of poor. But in the meantime, let's just stay here and stay under the radar because we are hard workers and we're, we're just happy enough to be here. Well, that's not the attitude that I think anybody needs to have in any state or any, any place on the, in the world is, is to just deal with the status quo. You, know, you have just as much of a right for you Asian Americans who have reached out to me and asked me to do this podcast. You know, the research shows that they're not very vocal. So I'll go back to my professor days again. I was leading a campus in Chicago with, I think it was about 110 on the roster of professors and leaders of different community groups. Um, and that was the Chicago Council, uh, Faculty Council. And looking back at the, those years, I recall very few Asian Americans a, in the field of psychology, B, in the field of higher education, and then C, anybody leading in the, the field of higher education and psychology or even medicine. However, the Asian American groups were making up a large proportion of medical doctors, psychologists, lawyers, and engineers. So the problem is that you can almost look at this as complacency. So those Asian American groups who are doing well, um, if you look at Pew Research, uh, which I reference quite a bit, you'll see the highest populations of uh, Asian American communities that are doing well are usually of Asian Indian descent, Filipino descent, Japanese descent, and now Korean descent. And then the other... 39 countries in Asia are just not represented or underrepresented and under the poverty line, which is absolutely crazy knowing that 
the Chinese immigrants specifically, all the way back to 1850s, our railroads were built by the Chinese. I don't want this to be an entire history lesson. I don't have the time, neither do you, to research into all of that, but it is fact that they were mistreated and also unable to have the same, afford the same types of lifestyles of people who were here. So they were put into a minority class, learned how to do the hard labor, and then later that sprouted into agriculture as well as um, businesses such as Chinese restaurants and then also laundromats and so forth. So that's where we are today, and we haven't really come that far. So I know that my experience is different than other people's experience, but as an Asian-American, U.S.-born Asian, Filipino-American descent, I am being grouped into an entire large population of people who really should not be grouped together. And this actually goes for just about any immigrant population where you don't have to group people in forms of, say, for example, Black America, when you have somebody from Haitia or somebody from uh, Cuba even, and then somebody from the continent of, of Africa, and grouping them together based on race is a thing of the past. I've tended to go with other, and I continue to checkbox other, and maybe that doesn't do justice to the Asian American population, but at the same time, I don't feel like it's important to gather all of the data without disaggregating it. Aggregated data is a thing of the past. So that's basically what this comes down to is two things should be the thing of the past, and that is aggregating data and pulling people together who have very little commonalities, different languages, different countries, and then pulling them together, such as a, a, an event in, in China that is now affecting all of Asia and Asian Americans, which is also further a disbelief because Chinese Americans should not be considered lesser human beings now that there's these spy attempts coming from, from China when it's of our best interest to avoid war. And that's the ultimate truth. I think that we're approaching World War III, and I, if you think this might be my own sort of conspiracy theory, it's not a conspiracy theory as much as it's a theory. If you just look at history and what was done in World War II and when the Filipino-Americans and Filipinos were accepting um, United States bases in the Philippines so that they could f keep an eye on Japan was the same reason why diplomats and the U.S. Secretary of State was moving to go to Philippines two weeks ago in order to talk about putting another naval base so that we could keep an eye on China and in turn keep an eye on Russia. Meanwhile, we're in a defense pattern where China and Russia are sort of teaming up on very similar um, thoughts on what the world economy should look like. And within the UN, there's talk of how they are kind of joining together, and the United States is feeling very much left out and very much want to know about how we keep our defenses up, which is understandable, but that doesn't mean we should be in a World War III. The only reason I bring up this issue, along with the whole 
idea of anti-Asian invisibility is that it makes sense that we speak up about this because there's really nobody in the White House or the U.S. Congress or Senate outside of, I think, two or three representatives and a few senators, but they're such a minority that they are not in power to speak up about how this could negatively affect just about everyone. Because the United States is also in a... In, the whole world is basically at this time in, 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 in a bit of a not only inflation um, and then just economies declining. We all sort of know that that leads to usually a president who has a bit of a trigger finger might be thinking about war to boost the economy. This is something that's my personal view. This is not something that I'm borrowed from somebody else. This is just based on what I have researched and the things that I see and just looking at historical patterns, Vietnam, the war in Cambodia, South Korean War, the World War II and our issues with Japan. All of these things, if you look at any veteran or ask any veteran, they would say we needed to stay out of Southeast Asia. We needed to stay out of all of those wars. But we were put into wars and, and our young people who may not have a future in, say, for example, higher education, or um, maybe might not have the means or resources to go into those fields or into college right away, will go into the war based on, you know, an armed forces movement or being joining the army, perhaps, or maybe joining factions of one of the four armed forces. And I think that's fine if you want to do it. Just know that in tumultuous times such as these, where I think a lot of things are very unstable globally, particularly watch the news. Just watch the news over the next six to eight weeks and look at the anti-Chinese propaganda. Weigh things out yourself. As I said earlier, go to allsides.com, take a look at where you get your news, and see why that might be slanted towards an issue of do we need to scapegoat an entire country based on them being communist in the past, based on what they're doing to treat their people, based on what they do with, um, you know, with COVID and, and not sharing data, and based on what we see on TV. We have to recall and remember there are a billion people in China, and also Taiwan has issue with it as well. And our diplomacy, I think, would go way further than a next war. And I think that's basically where I'm getting at is with any war with any country, for example, the Ukraine war in Russia, you won't find many people who are siding with Russia right now. A lot of that is based on what we're getting from the news. A lot of that is support from the United States in so many different facets that we don't even know where we're getting this information. So just know, A, if you learn anything from this at all, this is not so much a rant, but I think what it is is just spelling out three different areas that I would like people to understand is A, you can't take an entire population such as Asia and group it together with China and say, now we're going to have problems with everyone from Asia. 
because that's basically what happens to Latino Americans. That's what happens to black Americans. And that's really typically how it's happened. And that's something to fear. It's something to take note. It's something to take action on. Number two, we have to disaggregate data. We have to look at each sort of country and also know that these are not people. People who have come to the United States should not be faced with racial issues based on what's going on in their home countries. And what we've seen with Cambodians and what we've seen with the Japanese during the internment camps, with Koreans during this Korean War, we've seen hate crimes rise for groups that are not just within that nation, but the entire population. So that goes back to one. One and two are intertwined. And then my third point is going to be really look where you get your news. You know, the Beastie Boys said it best, where you get your information. I think it was on Check Your Head. What you want, that was a track. And they, they really just, not that they're the source of all wisdom, but it sums it up very, very clearly. Where'd you get your information? Make sure it's fair and balanced and that you're not told it's fair and balanced like some networks would like to believe. Do the research yourself, folks. Doesn't take that lo a lot of work. It just takes a little bit of effort. Check out allsides.com. I'm not being paid by them. Uh, I actually don't think I have ever posted anything with their um, affiliation. If anybody wa from allsides.com wants to reach out to me, this is a small podcast. This is my opinion. This is my world. I'd be glad to talk to you about doing um, some work with you. So that's it for now for The Novel Brand with Dr. E. Stay tuned for my weekly podcast, and have yourself a beautiful day, folks.